Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. My guest today is Charlie Schreiber. Charlie is back on the show. He's been on twice before, but just in case you have forgotten, Charlie is a professional climbing coach. He's taken day one athletes to become youth and open national champions. 514D sport climbers and V15 boulderers. This guy has coached many young athletes to become incredible climbers, some of the best climbers in the country. And he's a badass climber himself. Charlie climbed his first V13 last year and quickly went on to send two more. And he's made some major life adjustments since our last conversation. He quit his job. He's now putting all of his time and energy into his own coaching business, Paradigm Climbing. He teamed up with Alex Johnson. They are coaching together with Paradigm. We talked about that. And he's doing a lot more traveling and climbing for the next year. We talked about why that is. But Charlie actually sat down with me from Fontainebleau. He's on a month-long trip. He's actually still there. And if you follow Charlie on Instagram, I know many of you do, he has become obsessed with the Big Island, a famous V15 or 8C in Fontainebleau. And he actually built a perfect replica of the boulder. You know, replicas have become more popular and that might not seem like a big deal to some of you, but this boulder is way more complex to replicate than something like Burden of Dreams. We talked about all the complexity. This involved building volumes, 3D models of the boulder, 3D models of the gym that he built the replica at, building volumes, 3D printing holds to go on the volumes. He ended up making a perfect replica of one of the most famous boulders in the world so he could train on it in the gym. Super fascinating to learn all about that. We talked about that and how he trained on the replica. It was really interesting. I actually took some nuggets away from that part of our conversation and have been using some of his training ideas on my own projects here in Waco Tanks. It was really fascinating. It takes us a while to get to the replica stuff. We talked about plenty of other things before that. I thought it was all great stuff. There's lots of nuggets in there as well. But if you're just interested in hearing about the replica, as always, I make that really easy for you guys. You can just scroll down right there in your podcast app and tap on the timestamp that will take you to whatever part of the episode you want to listen to. I made it really easy to find. So I hope you guys enjoy and find it interesting. And without further ado, here is Charlie Schreiber. Where in the world are you, Charlie? I'm in Fontainebleau. Fontainebleau. Nice. Fontainebleau. A.K.A. Font. A.K.A. Blow. A.K.A. Fonty. <laughs> nice. How long you been there? A.K.A. Sandstone Paradise. Sandstone Paradise. Looks amazing. Yep. Uh, I've been here. Wow. I've been here for nine days. Jeez. How's the trip going so far? Really well. Really well. I've made a bunch of friends. I have already eaten some great French food, climbed a lot of days, and ticked off some really good things. Nice. Really high priority boulders and made some progress on uh, the Big Island. Hell yeah, dude. It's like to talk about all of that. That's amazing. Are you coming off another trip or were you just home for a little while after or before this trip? What are you eating right now? Yeah, I was home for a bit. I'm eating mangoes. Oh, nice. You're really you getting... know from our last conversation. <laughs> That's right. I'm climbing tomorrow, so yeah, and make sure you gotta yeah, you gotta get that perfect poop tomorrow. Oh God, yeah, yeah, it's been tough here. What step is this in the process? Are you on step like three out of the seven step poop process? Remind mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, hydration is key. Movement throughout the day. Mango, apples, cold brew uh-huh. is, is already in the fridge. Right. First coffee is ready to go. Right. So you're on, remind me, you're like on a fruit meat diet on your rest days. Is that right? Is that a key ingredient? Yes. I've, I've become a little bit more liberal on that. Yeah, because you're in France. You got to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to have bread. Uh-huh. No, I mean, I mean everything. I mean vegetables and getting a lot of nuts in, a lot of olive oil. Trying to be a little bit more skin conscious, honestly. Trying to get some more, more fats in. Okay. Just because sandstone is going to eat through my skin. I need it to grow back. Interesting. You notice you have better skin when you eat more fat in your diet? Yeah. And I honestly just recover better. Yeah, totally. Well, right on, man. It's good to see you again. Are we re- are we recording right now? We're recording. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Delightful. I was confused. I, I remember last time. I think we had talked before, and you were like, "All right, we're going to record now." And I was like, "Oh, now we're okay. starting." Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, we can I either. I just hear me. Yeah, you're mangoes. just you're just slurping on mangoes over there. Um. <laughs> we can either leave all this in or cut it out. I always, I just have the always be recording philosophy. So I jump on the call, everything's running. And then if it's, you know, if we just roll right into it, it's great. And if we need to kind of start the podcast, then we do that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'm, I'm cool with whatever. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about stuff. Let's talk about stuff. Let's just keep it going. So, um, climbing. it sounds like Rockland's, let's start with this. It sounds like the Rockland's trip was pretty life-changing for you like maybe it shifted your philosophy that's kind of my takeaway from following you on instagram and and seeing some of your reflections on the trip and seems like that led into this career shift and this uh prioritizing all these big trips and stuff like that so tell me a little bit about that what was it that you uh experienced or felt on the rocklands trip and and what did your reflection of that trip look like well the rocklands trip uh, really told me that I, number one was I, I can't do short trips anymore. I get very stressed out. I leave without feeling fully fulfilled and I, I don't get to have the same opportunities with, uh, with a longer trip and you don't have as much opportunity to strategize and revisit climbs and feel like you're operating at your true limit. You also don't have the same opportunity to meet as many people and see as much and try as many things and just have as you know as many experiences so i really made a conscious decision to after that trip look at my year and give myself about five very long uh, trips to somewhere else in the world i also really really loved the idea of going to places that were totally different like south africa um, so I, I booked a trip to Australia and uh, New Zealand and uh, Switzerland with, with visiting all those other areas was you know, really exciting because it was tons of places I'd, I'd never been before and uh, connecting with people that I knew through the through like social media, but never got to see. And that's kind of what Rockland's was like the, the ultimate example of, you know, you, you go there. And you were there. It's like summer camp for adults. Mm-hmm. It's just everybody is there from all around the world, and and you get to meet these people that you've been seeing on Instagram or seeing on YouTube, and that you know of. You feel like you know, 
and, and then you meet them and you you feel like you're already friends and they know you, you know them. It's, it's a really cool experience. And uh, bringing the kids out with me, like the Wheelers and, uh, and Adam and meeting up with Austin and, and Bryce and those guys, that was really great. So I decided that on my next trips that I would organize some, you know, friends to meet up with there and other of my clients to, to come with me. And a lot of clients jumped at the opportunity. So I'm, I'm actually here with two currently. I've got Adam coming out in uh, a little over a week. And I've got about six or seven other friends and uh, clients that are going to come meet me here. So that was that was big. The the people. People was probably the the biggest joy of my trip there. And obviously, finally uh, realizing my potential and achieving the goal that I have been so focused on for so many years, but never had the the true uh, switch flipped mm-hmm. to to really get after it. Yeah. So that that felt amazing. Yeah, it was great for so many different reasons. Man, I was really impressed by your climbing on your Rocklands trip. I mean, we talked a lot about the boys and how <laughs> how insane all their tick lists were. They're all flashing B13 every other day. And, you know, you you were making some like self-deprecating jokes and stuff because it's just the contrast is insane. But I was I, I was amazed. I mean, you did your first v th- V13 on that trip, but you were also sending V10s and V11s like every day. It just seemed like you were in climbing us an insane amount. None of you guys had skin, including you. Like your skin was totally fucked as well. <laughs> I was just like, wait, how are you doing this much volume and sending this many things and projecting the hardest boulder you've ever done? Like what's going on there? So anyway, if you have any thoughts on that, I'm, I'm curious to, to hear them. But I was just impressed by the extent to which you were able to keep up with those 18 year old kids. Like it's pretty impressed, dude. I can't climb that much. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I train. I train a lot in, in, when I'm home, and I've I, I've definitely always had uh, a lot of capacity through very conscious and focused efforts in my training and my climbing. But I, I was really uh, strategic on that trip, and and knew which ones to go for when and really harnessed the group psych, which I think was probably the, the the most key element in being successful so often. You know, you can go out to a boulder. I, I, I personally, you know, when I'm by myself, have a really hard time flipping the switch and just going into flow state. I think I really know, not think, I, I know that it's my old uh, competitive mind that was always so fueled and propelled by putting on a show and and that that phrase that would always like my mind would just repeat the same phrase when i'd go out to a boulder it would i would just say over and over watch this watch show them watch this put on a show perform and when i have a group and i can feel the energy you you just go up to your absolute utmost potential and you know even when you're at 60 percent power if you have the move styled you can just kind of crank your nervous system through psych, I, I feel like, to to get a, one more 100% when you know you have it. And it happens so many times that trip. Hmm. And Rocklands is just like, it's it's almost like this. It, you feel like you're always on like a stage there. It's just, <laughs> I don't know what it is about the boulders. It's just like uh, magical. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's definitely one of the most visually stunning places I've ever climbed. It's so impressive. Unbelievably inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Do you, I, I'm curious, do you notice like, um, you know, when you're going even deeper into your central nervous system through psych, like, do you pay for it later? Because that's something that I feel like I've experienced is, you know, I can I can force it and climb twice as much as I should, but I always pay for it. I dig myself into a hole two or three weeks into the trip, I'm cashed instead of being able to climb strong through the end of the trip. Um, have you noticed that or is this, do you think this is trainable? Like because you've always trained this way and built up your capacity, you can tolerate going deeper into fatigue? I definitely, personally, I, I know where, like how far I can go before I have to call it. Uh, my, my friend Riley actually was a really good kind of system behind me because he has seen me go too hard and then regret it and a couple times he told he would like you know i get so psyched and worked up on a boulder that i'm i'm going to do it no matter what like i won't give up i absolutely won't give up and you know i've learned to to like sometimes like and not give up but just stop for now but having him there to remind me dude this is usually when you know when you're rational, you you stop, and that helped a lot. Uh, but no, I I go until I know that I, I'm not going to be productive anymore, and that, that my, you know, you kind of know like when you're so in tune with your body, which I've spent a lot of time looking back in my journals, looking at my rest periods, really understanding what type of sensations am I feeling in my hands, my body that are going to warrant what type of a rest day until I'm back to peak. And I know, you know, if I've gone a little too far, I'm just going to need two rest days. So I, there were several times throughout the trip, I took two rest days and other times where, you know, I went out and I did two boulders that like, you know, like at two 11s pretty quickly and then knew, okay, you know what? I want to climb again tomorrow. I gave 10 attempts today. I probably could give another 10 to 15, I'm just going to save those for tomorrow. Hmm. So I, I think you just have to go in with real strategy. And then also when you're resting, rest, rest hard, like don't do anything and really be smart about how you're helping your body heal. Like at, when I'm resting, I'm doing everything that you should to, to get back. And I feel like I recover very quickly on trips. Like I'm eating a ton of protein. I'm doing a lot of mobility throughout the day, both through my fingers, like getting blood flow all day through them, putting them through the full range of motion, stretching, giving myself a little massage, eating as high nutrition uh, as I can and, and everything else that's not even protein, drinking a ton of water, rushing sleep, trying to get like 10 hours, like just sleeping in, going to sleep early. Mm-hmm not drinking alcohol, you know, giving yourself the best chance. Yeah, totally. I'm amazed at how much I sleep here. I've always noticed that in Waco, like I, I can sleep, I can sleep 10 hours on average a night, like no problem. It's just crazy. It's just like, where, where is all the sleep going? Spending almost half my life in bed, but you need it when you're, when you're out there trying hard every day on steep, powerful things, you need it. Yeah, even if you're sleeping two hours more, I, people do say that, like, oh man, I hate sleep and I want to be awake. But okay, if you, you know, if you lose those two hours of sleep, 
what's the quality of your waking life going to be like? And, you know, you, all the time you spend thinking about, I want to be successful in my climbing. I want to accomplish this. I want to feel physically strong. I want to get better. Okay. Do you want to keep thinking and worrying about that? Or thinking and realizing that with the remaining, you know, 14 hours as opposed to 16 hours of worrying and stressing. Mm -hmm. So I, I used to stress about that big time. And uh, it's taken a lot of conscious effort to really teach my mind to relax, chill out, get the sleep. You're always, you're always happier when you get more sleep. You feel better, your brain's sharper, your body just doesn't hurt. Sleep is good. Sleep is good. Sleep is real good. So you're saying that you used to stress about those, about missing those extra two hours of the day, like daylight's burning, oh, yeah. that sort of thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Get up, go, start working. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So what happened after that trip? Did you just have an amazing time and immediately go home and quit your job? Like what, what, what happened next? Well, I quit my job while I was on the trip. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, and you were, this is working at a gym coaching? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was working at uh, Reach Economy and Fitness. And I, uh, yeah, I just didn't want to be at a gym anymore. I loved what I was doing with uh, with Paradigm, and I loved coaching athletes all over the world, and I loved talking to clients all day on my phone and making real differences with people that were highly motivated. And I did have a lot of kids that were highly motivated. There were just so many, just the politics of it all with, with parents and, you know, needing to please everyone and you can't say this, you can't really push them to get to the level that they actually want to get to because it turns out they don't want to do the work for where they went. There was, anyway, just a ton of stuff that I had, you know, I'd paid my dues for 10 years. I loved it, but I was just figuring out there was a better life for me. And so I, you know, the owner and I talked and I immediately, uh, when I left, took on Paradigm full-time. It had grown to be that size where it could sustain me. And uh, I'm still amazed at how fast this is growing and how much fun I'm having and how fulfilled I feel. And uh, basically, I was in Rocklands and had done the uh, pre-nationals training camp with Alex Johnson. I invited her to be a coach at my camp. And we immediately became really great friends. She's like the the female version of me. We have like the same exact humor. And I, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of brash, no bullshit. Just. Yeah. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Did you see her comments on my story yesterday by chance? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she, on yeah, brand. She's, she's hysterical. Hilarious. No mercy. Yeah. No mercy. Exactly. Everyone yeah. else is like, yeah, hell yeah, Steven, like good efforts. You got this. And she's just like, meh. <laughs> yeah. She's like, actually though, like, did you try hard? Why didn't you grab the hold? I'm just like, God damn. Okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you see, you see into my soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's great. Yeah. And, uh, she's so freaking passionate about coaching. And that's, that was honestly the, the number one thing that I, I realized when I was working with her, she just, you know, when you have somebody talks and you can tell that their like their soul lights up and they just 
want something for someone else so deeply. And she was just telling me about all of her, the kids she works with and like talking about them, like they were her kids, Mm. like they were her children, like how a parent talks about their kids and how genuinely psyched she was for this thing she was going to program for them. And the next time they were going to have a session, I was like, oh, you really are me in, in the coaching sense and like the personality sense together, we can do unbelievable things. Mm. You, you need to, you need to come on board with paradigm. We will have so much fun and change the lives of so many people and build something so great. And she was like, dude down. (laughs) And so we just, we did it and it's been freaking awesome. That's so cool. So what is it beyond just having private coaching clients that you work with remotely and and help with their climbing goals? Sounds like you're also doing clinics and in-person things. Yeah, a couple, a couple of those, uh, like personally, you mean, or or both Alex and I, like as a yeah, sure, know. yeah. How do you split it up? What does paradigm look like these days? So it's uh, it's just her and I, and uh, you will either DM one of us through Instagram uh, or you know get our number from somebody, uh, but mainly the people are finding us through Instagram and the website uh, paradigmclimbing.com, and you go on and you click who you want to work with. And then you set up a call after you either purchase a plan or uh, it's actually better if you DM us and we just go right to a call. We don't have to pay the the fees through Wix, who charges so much. Um, And then we have a a conversation usually between like 25 minutes to sometimes an hour. I mean, we don't have like a strict limit. We get, if if you're extra psyched and we just start talking about stuff, like those calls can go. And uh, we take everything that we talk about. We have a really a great questionnaire that we follow um, for the interview and then, uh, you know, decide either to, uh, you know, work with this person through the, just a program, basically whatever, you know, you tell us your goals are, that's what we're going to create your program for. And then if you'd like to take a, you know, step up in your development process and uh, like the rate at which you improve, you can also do coaching with us through video analysis. So you film as many videos of yourself climbing and then send it to us and we give you a full review of every single video and teach you you know what you're doing that could be improved new techniques uh really use the videos for education just to teach people about different types of concepts that you might just like never discover in your climbing it's just you know things that aren't like out there on the internet uh and and that you can't really get with a lot of coaches that just don't have as much experience and you know you, they don't know what they're they don't know so uh, that's always so much fun to kind of blow people's minds with an entire avenue of technical prowess that they didn't know they could, you know, go down and, and follow through a learning curve. Uh, yeah. And then we just work with them through nine week cycles, no matter what t- term plan they buy. We, we, every nine weeks get on the phone, talk about everything, but we're also talking to our clients like 24 seven. Yeah. I, I have a lot of people that text me every day, uh, kind of all day. And I freaking love it because those clients, you know, excel the fastest because they're updating me on everything. And I climbed today uh, and I went a little too hard and I've got this type of day tomorrow. What should I do? Oh, thank you for telling me. Sick. Okay. So let's take a little pause. We'll push that day. And it's, that's the part that I, I love. I absolutely love because you don't get that with your, your youth team. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of get it, but kids are covered so fast. And they sometimes get like 
they require some troubleshooting, but adults, uh, you can really like uh, hit them with the guardrails and make sure that they stay and get back on track. So it's, it's like addicting, you know, you, you <laughs> put somebody back on the right trail then you see them progress because that someone else comes at you with another problem and you tell them how to address and fix that. And people are grateful for all these different, you know, aspects. Thanks for the advice. Thanks for helping me last week when I went over a bit. Thanks for the program that was super tailored to my needs. Thanks for, and uh, Alex has been telling me constantly how much she loves this, this part of the, the, uh, the company, because it's something she didn't really have before. Mm-hmm. So. You're just solving solving puzzles all day. That's cool. Solving puzzles, man. Everyone's different. Every situation's different. It is so cool, and it. I honestly think that it's not think it. I know it's it's teaching me the most about being a coach and program design and just managing athletes. Do like five times a day. I will uh, have to go into onto Google and learn something new in order to better serve uh, an athlete, and then blend that with previous knowledge I know and, and troubleshoot something course correct. So much fun just to like know your brain is constantly evolving and developing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why nine weeks? That's That seems like a really random number that stood out to me because, you know, you hear about six-week cycles and 12-week cycles and sometimes it's even numbers. It's 10. Nine, I've never... I've never heard nine before. Obviously, the length of the cycle doesn't really matter, probably. But why? Why did you guys settle on that? So nine weeks is the perfect time, I, I believe, for uh, avoiding setbacks, burnouts, and uh, injuries. What we'll do is we give you, uh, you know, you have a nine-week plan, and uh, you have the drills that you're going to be doing. Sometimes they shift within the the nine weeks, but you're going to do four weeks of intense training. And then you're going to deload and then you're going to do four weeks again and then you're going to deload and that follows a lot of um, kind of the tenets of uh, strength and conditioning training uh, just with like through supplemental training that uh, a lot of different sports do and uh, kind of works with a lot of different like just you know soft tissue loading and physiological uh, stress it can really be optimized if you you know, send a, a stimulus for about four weeks of time. So, I mean, it can be, you know, four to six to eight. Uh, just with climbing, I have felt that, you know, the vagaries of training and what people do intra-session that you don't always know while you do prescribe it. You know, you, if you let things go for an extended period of time without a, a deload and, and usually a volume correction, uh, climbers will, t- will tend to overdo it. And so if you can hit the brakes when they're usually, I mean, it just always happens with, with a lot of our clients is that they'll get to the four weeks and they're texting us nonstop. I'm feeling amazing. I'm feeling so great. And that's an indicator of, okay, things are starting to tighten up. They're just about to accumulate some fatigue because they're probably going to now push their sessions a little longer. So before that happens, let's ease up, let their body super compensate, recover and adapt to the training they've done these four weeks. And then do another four weeks, knowing that they are fresh, recovered, and are pretty much, uh, uh, you know, new again. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that makes sense. That was uh, 
that's that's such a hard lesson to learn for all of us. You know, we're all psyched and you see your training start to work and you feel amazing. And, it's, you know, taking a step back is the last thing that you want to do. But um, the thing that took me a long time to kind of uh, connect with and really internalize is what you just said. Like, oh, when you're peaking, when you're feeling amazing, you're able to train harder and longer than you ever have before. And you can only do that for so long before the wheels come off, you know, like you're kind of playing with fire at that point. You're, you're basically able to go deeper into your, you know, connective tissues and, and, all, and your tissue capacity and all those things than you normally can. And that is a really important time to take a time, you know, to take a step back and kind of let yourself recover. What does a deload week look like for your athletes? Uh, that's reduced volume, uh, slightly reduced intensity. Actually, typically we'll do a, a day alternating reduced, always reduced volume, uh, but alternate between reduced intensity, constant intensity, just so that, you know, our, the, the, the body stays, uh, neuro, neurologically, you know, developed and stimulated and is receiving similar, uh, loads so that when they do come back, they feel like they can perform and, and meet the the, the program's uh, demands, mm-hmm. and um, honestly, to keep mo- motivation constant. But yeah, it's it's a reduction in, in volume. Mm-hmm. We just, you know, uh, you know, the brain is always faster than the body. I mean, we've all had that day where we feel we come in the gym, we've been doing our training, we've been hitting the boards, whatever we've been doing, we've been doing some campus training, we've been doing a lot of pull ups. We feel so good. And so we keep going and we keep feeling great. And we smash a project. We smash another project. Our friends are over there and they're working something and we campus it. Oh my God, that felt so good. And we keep going and going and going. You know, adrenaline's pumping. We are uh, we're super wired. You know, our, the neurological de- developments have now set in from the training that we've done these last, let's say it's on our program, four weeks. But the physiological developments are lagging. So the body is being pushed really hard, moving really fast. But uh, and, and that's the brain controlling it to do so. But the the mechanical structures in our body and our muscles and our tendons, it hasn't changed nearly as much, you know, percentage gain-wise as the, the neurons have. So our body is being pushed beyond what it can handle. And then we, you know, inevitably we had that mega day, we felt great. And then boom, two week period where we suck. We feel wrecked that next time we go in the gym. We don't know why we were just feeling great. Oh, why does this always happen? I start to get great and then boom, I take a massive step back. So if that's ever happened to you or that's happening to you, you know, cyclically, or it's been a perpetual problem throughout your climbing career, you should consider this and kind of get ahead of it before it happens. Recognize those days and stop. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. This is kind of a question for, it is, it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. Really hard. Yeah. Especially when like, you know, I mean, none of us ever have enough time, right? Like you're looking at your, like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do a similar approach here in Waco, but you can't help but look at the calendar and be like, man, if I take an easy week, that's a week loss that I can't get back and Mm -hmm. the weather's getting warmer and time's ticking and I've got all these projects and I'm, you know, yeah, it's, it's really hard to do. Um, this is a question. You gotta be real though. 
that's 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 the thing it's it's emotions man yeah it's you got to look down the line i i always try to look back at my trip while i'm in my trip and say if okay like currently example is i've got the big island i want to do of course we'll, we'll talk about that but i also have two or three other boulders that are ap ap plus so v13 v14 that i i really want to do and i know that if I keep having these days where I go after, you know, 10s, 11s, and 12s that I, I know I can do, I'm not going to have the energy or the time to really take these bigger ones that mean the most to me down. So if I look at the calendar and I'm like, oh man, you know, and for the next four days, it looks like it's raining. Uh, I climbed yesterday and then I, I'm pretty wrecked. Tomorrow is a rest day. And then the next day is the only day it's not raining. Okay, maybe I'll go out and climb. Really, I'm, I'm going to feel barely recovered. I'm, I'm not going to have enough to push my absolute limit. And then, you know, come two days after that, maybe I'll be recovered, but prob probably not. You know, is it? It's so it's probably better to wait, do maybe a light, easy boulder outside on that day when it's nice and bright, take those extra two rest days, and then feel amazing to maybe take down one of those eight beats on that fifth day. Mm -hmm. Totally. So yeah, totally. Got to look ahead. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by better help. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know that it's not just about climbing. It's also about getting to know people and learning from them. And it's about getting to know ourselves because until we do that, it's really hard to know how to get where we want to go in our life, our romantic relationships, climbing, or anything. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. I've been going to therapy twice a month for the last year and a half through BetterHelp, and I cannot overstate how helpful it's been. It's helped me unpack some relationship baggage and learn from those experiences so I don't repeat the same patterns over and over. And now I'm in the healthiest relationship I've ever been in, and it's amazing. And I really do credit therapy for a lot of that growth. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I still use it, and it's perfect for my lifestyle. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge and without any awkwardness. It's super, super easy. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash nugget today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash nugget. This episode is brought to you by Fizzy Vantage. I'm guessing a lot of you listen to this podcast because you want to get better at climbing, right? You want those training nuggets. You want to send your proj. Well, guess what? There's only one climbing-specific pre-workout on the market, and that's Sendure X 
from Fizzy Vantage. Sendur X is a rare non-caffeinated pre-workout. Most pre-workouts are all about a big caffeine hit, but not this one. Many pro climbers like to steer clear of excessive caffeine because of the jitters and anxiety it can cause, which is not helpful if you're trying to send your proj. Sendurex active ingredients, beetroot extract and citrulline malate, work by increasing circulation and oxygen kinetics. There's a ton of research showing the value of these substances for improving power endurance in repeated sprint sports and aerobic capacity in many endurance events. Most climbers genuinely feel a difference when consuming Sendur X. I think this stuff is especially helpful for pumpy sport climbing, but even if you're a boulderer, you're occasionally going to try a long boulder and you're gonna get pumped and you'll get less pumped with Sendur X. So check it out. If you would like to feel the Fizzy Vantage, head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off any full-priced nutrition product. That's NUGGET15 at checkout and you can find a direct link to this coupon right there in your podcast app. And now back to the show. This is a question about your own climbing or about coaching, about your clients. Um, if someone comes to you and they say, okay, nine-week program, two months of training with a week in between, great. But I've got a trip coming up in six months and I want to get as strong as possible to try to go send this thing. What do you do with that sort of person? Can you stack training program after training program? Is that a terrible idea? Do you kind of like, <laughs> you're not it that's you just stack them yeah man of course do you change the contents of those training blocks if they're you know if they're gonna do two or three nine-week programs in a row are you changing the ingredients of those to make sure that they're, they're not just hammering Absolutely. the same things well okay so here's it, it all depends I mean, well, actually, it depends on so many things. It depends on what their goal is. Uh, are we going to be building a long-term, like, are we trying to build a big old well of baseline endurance or a base capacity for a, maybe a big sport trip or, like, a long sport route? Or are we trying to do a, a really hard boulder? Are we trying to do several hard boulders? Are we trying to do several hard boulders on a trip? It, it, the goal will dictate and the person and their weaknesses and their schedule and all of these different things are injuries. I mean, the, the plan is going to, let's say it's just going to be what it is in that first program. That program is going to have, now I have the liberty of uh, now having this long-term approach where I can truly lay down a, a foundation to build up towards something big. It's like a pyramid. You know, you, the, the longer term you have, the wider base you can make. So the higher the peak I can make at the end. Mm. Uh, so now, and, and that's that's why we love working with clients for the longer term. It's just the the results that we can get and the fulfillment that both the client and we can get is that much higher. So we're going to do that first nine weeks. And we're going to say at the end of the nine weeks, when we get on the call with our client, we're going to say, okay, now we've got two more nine-week blocks. Let's look up back at this nine, this last nine weeks. Let's talk about everything in the program. Uh, let's let's talk about the components of it. What worked, what didn't work. These next two programs need to learn from this last one. So we need to know. Okay, 
you know, it's always an experiment. Training is always an experiment. You, nobody knows the best way to train going forward for any individual person. You know, they don't even know what their life is going to look like, what problems may occur, what, what they thought has worked in the past might stop. So now, okay, what worked, what didn't work, what do we need to modify and change logistically, uh, within the skills themselves, where's the progression on all of these, uh, strength training elements, were they working, were they not, and why? Tell me about everything. Okay, cool. Now, you said limit bouldering was great, and you got a lot better at limit bouldering. Sweet. Am I going to change that? No. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. That worked. It's probably going to keep working. Let's maybe, though, depending on their motivation, maybe we can make it a little more specific. So if I had said, which I rarely do, just get on the boards and pick specific, you know, I mean, whatever types of boulders you want, just make sure they're at limit. I usually give some, you know, more some, guidelines, uh, more guidelines based on what their weaknesses are or the goals or what, what else is in the program so that, you know, everything is hit in, in the correct amount of volume. And then we'll make the changes from program to program so that, you know, number one, adherence is the best that it can possibly be. Nobody wants to do the same exact plan again. And even if, you know, everything worked, everything was great. And the person says, yeah, like, yeah, that program was great. I'd love to do it again. Maybe the best would be to give them another plan, but I've had this happen. And usually you give them another, the same plan or you'll say, okay, cool. I'm just going to, I'm just going to change the supplementals to be the next level of progression so that your muscles continue to develop. All of your climbing training can look the same if it's been working great. But that person usually thinks they're more, more motivated to do the same thing for another two months than they actually are. Mm. And adherence drops. Mm -hmm. So I will usually have the conversation with that person and say, I hear you, but I can give you things that are very similar, very similar, that will be a little bit of a progression from the skills that you've been using and the strength that you've been using. And uh, I think it'll be a lot more interesting and will keep you more motivated because ultimately adherence is key. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then we just do that again for the next cycle and make sure that obviously when they get to the end of the six months that uh, we taper and that they hit a very high peak come the, their performance period. Nice. Yeah. And then adopting this to your lifestyle over the last six months since we were in Rocklands, you've gone on several trips since then, or you went to Magic Wood, had a great trip, now you're in Font. Did you go any, anywhere else in between? No. Okay. No. But that's, that's still a lot of outdoor climbing and projecting with not that much time in between those trips. What did your own preparation and training look like uh, in between those? Like when you got back from Rocklands, because I don't know, it's, you know, I had, a, I had a different experience. I got a sinus infection that totally laid me out, but I was wrecked after that trip for like a month, you know, and it took me a lot longer to be able to ramp up to even trying hard again and, and doing any sort of training than I expected. Um, are you able to jump right back into a training block after a trip? What does that look like for you? Well, I usually end the trips uh, in a way that I know that if I go home, I can start training again within about, honestly, like three days. I don't, you know, honestly, my coach Martin saw me end my Rockland's trip uh, 
with like very high volume. And I definitely came back pretty wrecked. That one I needed about a week to like to no climbing to feel good again. And so in Switzerland, you know, he had told me when I came back from Rocklands, he was like, man, you know, it's not your last day. I was like, but it, it literally is. I'm not going to be back at Rocklands for a whole year. It's like, dude, no, it's not your last day. It's just another day. Mm. You just happen to be in Rocklands. You're going to be <laughs> at home tomorrow. It's another day. You don't want to, do you want to be wrecked? Do you want to feel bad? Do you want to risk injury? It's like, oh, you're right. I don't want any of those things. But I'm so used to it. Well, he's like, well, there's a new you. You don't have to do that. Let's focus on Switzerland starting now. You know this, you tell this to your, your clients. So when you go to that last day on the uh, on your trip or at the, the last week, why do you need to blow yourself out? You know, I think that's just something that we tell ourselves. And honestly, a lot of people get hurt at the end of their trips. Mm -hmm. So uh, in Switzerland, I had my last day and uh, I made the climbs that I was getting on a lot easier. Had some more fun with the, uh, Again, Riley was there and a bunch of new friends. Um, and I just ended the trip feeling pretty good. Came home and got back to training. I, I felt very good three days after coming home, but I uh, took a, a bit of a taper because I knew that I was going to be coming to Fontainebleau and I wanted to have a really good, uh, I think it was like a six-week block of training before I came here uh, to focus on all the physical and technical aspects of the Big Island. And it, it worked really freaking well. I uh, let my body feel amazing, started back up, super motivated, very healthy, and uh, made a ton of gains in, the, in that short time. Nice. Who's your coach? Martin Keller. Man, I, that's who I thought you were talking about. And I can't believe that I forgot that or didn't know that. Have we talked about that before? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd forgotten. Yeah, yeah, we did because we... Uh, shoot, I don't know. I think we must have because he helped me in preparing for Rocklands, but we it might have been after we started uh, working together. Okay. Yeah. Well, I love that. Yeah, that guy's, that guy's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, really needed someone. He, I mean, he doesn't write any of my programming. All, all he is is a mentor to mm. me. So he just, we talk about, it's, it's, he honestly, he's like, uh, like a psychiatrist. <laughs> yeah. It's like somebody yeah. to bounce my ideas on. He teaches me a lot of great, great knowledge and he is so generous and helpful mm. and I uh, keeps me, holds me accountable really well. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. Do you feel like as long as you're taking those deloads and, and like respecting that time apart or that time away from hard climbing every month, do you feel like you can kind of perpetually be either training or on a performance trip? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's funny because there really is almost like no difference if you, if you think about your training compared to your performing your body's still receiving load. It's still very specific. Uh, it, you can measure your volume. Uh, I think that people get a little too lost in the fact that they're on a trip and they're performing and they're 
going for it and just it's it's not the same as their training whatsoever but it really is i mean how many attempts are you going to take on this how hard is it for you what type of rest and recovery does that warrant and is your goal to recover or you're on a trip right you don't want to recover you want to adapt so you shouldn't be going out there and thrashing yourself if you want to accomplish a hard project you should stop while you still feel really good so you can come out not tomorrow but the next day feel even better be even stronger on those moves and neurologically adapt to whatever you know grips you're holding whatever movements your muscles are are guiding you through and uh, that's what we do during training right give it a stimulus let it recover go mm-hmm. for it again keep doing that do you do the supplemental stuff on trips yeah i do um, but only uh, in very low volume, uh, high intensity, on a day where I have more than two days to recover from it. Okay. Or, or well, well, two days to recover. So you're about to take a double rest day. You'll do some yeah. strength training in the evening or something. Yep. And what are this? What are the staples for you? Like, what makes the cut? You know, you're stripping away all the unnecessary stuff because you want to be fresh for the outdoor climbs. But what do you keep doing on trips? Honestly, just what I'm not doing when I'm climbing outside. I'm, I'm definitely not trying to double tap any joints that I know could be is susceptible to injury unless they're highly trained. You're not going to, you're not going to do weighted pull-ups or something like that. Right. And, and yeah. in the same muscles in the same way. I'm not finger training for sure. Not finger training. I'm not doing any legs. Uh, I'm doing a lot of mobility, lots of mobility training while I'm here. Stand limber. Um, and then I'm doing like really the only things I like to do on trips are, uh, sometimes some, uh, some light core stuff, some just like literally, I know my, my lower back actually, the way I climb, I keep a lot of tension to my lower back and my posterior chain. And I also honestly get that while I'm carrying pads and just lifting and moving things around. So I like to actually keep my abs and my obliques in shape, just light stuff. And then um, push work. So I love like handstand push-ups, one-arm push-ups, and some lateral raises. Those are my staples. Keep the shoulders bullet. Nice. Did you get to climb with Martin in Magicwood? No, man, I didn't. He was, uh, I was actually predominantly in Brione. He was pretty far away and then he got hurt. That's right. That's right. Sorry, Martin. Yeah, he hurt his hamstring. Right. Yeah. He's good. He's climbing again. <laughs> That's good. But yeah, he he destroyed his hamstring. Mm. Sucks. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. He'll be um, back. He'll climb another V16 soon, I know. <laughs> yeah, he totally will. That, man. I know. It's incredible. It's incredible. I love it. I'm taking the sweatshirt off. I'm dying in, of heat. That mango <laughs> sugar starting to hit. I'm sweating. <laughs> I got the mango sweats. Whew. <laughs> it's humid here. Yeah. Onto blue. This place is like a rainforest, man. I'm, I'll tell you. That's why it's unbelievable. That's kind of why I haven't been. I'm I'm just uh I know I need to go and I will go eventually, but um man, now that I've been able to live in a van and travel for the last few years, I feel so spoiled by the desert. I just never want to leave the desert. I love dry climates and yeah. I kind of freak out in the rain. <laughs> I just, like, my skin just melts like a wax candle. I just, I can't hold on to anything. I'm just, oh, man, it's it's rough. 
and do not do well in, in humid conditions. Yeah, it, it's it's very different. You got to be ready for the rain. Do you get crisp days? Like, do you get days with legitimately oh, good yeah. conditions? Okay. Oh my God, we had one a couple days ago and it was like, it, it felt like I had suction cups on my hands <laughs> because awesome. I have like pretty moist skin. Mm. And so when it was cold here in the sandstone, it's just like slap and stay. But that's also dangerous because when you don't stay, it's just like a little too steep of an angle. You slap and slide and leave <laughs> all of your skin on the rock. And that happened on Karma. And that's why I'm not going back to Karma till the end of the trip. Mm. Maybe. You may win again. I have never been to that boulder with good skin. Uh. Ever. Every time I go, I, I'm just too thin. And I know I'm like, oh, this is pushing it. But I feel so much stronger. And every time I progress, but just not enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to slot on the right hand. You can't have that. So <laughs> let's uh, freaking karma. Freaking karma. I mean, it's such a famous boulder, though. Yeah, I know. Yeah, maybe maybe rest up some skin <laughs> at the end of the trip and and uh, prioritize that one yeah. at the end. Yeah, definitely. Nice. I would like to try to do that one someday. Very classic. Yeah, it's dude. It's I've never tried anything like it. Hmm. It's just such a small little margin of error. You got to get the details of your hand perfectly. The way your foot has to turn and press. Oh, it's so cool. Two moves. That's it. <laughs> yeah. How do you? How does one train for something like that? Do you, can you train for karma, or do you just have to build a bunch of other skills and show up and put some time into it? You absolutely can train for karma. It's it's a uh, yeah. The angles are pretty. No, I, I actually the angle is really hard. <laughs> you could do a, <laughs> you could set up a, a big volume, slap, slap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can make a replica. I made a replica of the Big Island. You can make a replica of Karma. <laughs> yeah. Way less holds. Yeah. Way, way less uh, crazy feature. Yeah. Let's. Uh, uh, yeah, it is a lot of friction. Let's let's dive really. into that topic. We've been kind of putting it off, and people are very curious about it. I got like half a dozen uh, questions from people that just wanted to hear about the Big Island replica. Um, of course they do. Yeah. When did you get obsessed? When did you get obsessed with this thing? How did that happen? Did you, was it your first time trying it or did it become this obsessive idea before you even put your hands on it? So I've been saying to people when they ask me for years, probably since I was 16, like, what's, what is your dream boulder? What's the one you want to do? Like, without a doubt, I've never had a different answer. It's the big island in Fontainebleau. Since watching the video of, uh, Dave do it. Uh, I think that was in the players that was like mesmerizing. I mean, I've been a huge Dave Graham fan, my, my whole climbing career. And, um, does he top yeah, out and like, say, I'm the master of my own world, master of my own world. <laughs> I control my own life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, he does. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've said that line a billion times when I top way less cool boulders. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so that was, definitely the start of it it was you know it was the hardest boulder in the world for a while i mean you know quote unquote hardest boulder it was the hottest hard boulder in the world for like two years three years when like just the stand was developed and like a couple people redid it and it was like the big news on 8a you know dead point mag had the, the first videos and you were like what are they holding this is impossible mm-hmm. and then someone did it from lower and you're like no way <laughs> and now they're doing it from deep within both pits on the left and right. And it's just like, what is, 
what's going on <laughs> so yeah that was that was how i first got inspired by it and then i was i was just thinking about uh you know the fact that i had done finally done my goal of v13 and i was trying to find inspiration for a 14 and you know i found tomba which i really wanted to do when i was in switzerland and i got a session on tomba and felt so good on it. I did all the moves except for one of them. And I was unbelievably excited to go back. But every single time for like the last three weeks of my trip, when I wanted to go back, it would be raining there. And it would just never be good in Val Bavona. And it was just super disappointing. So I had to walk away from that trip, not even having a second session on it. And then uh, yeah, we just got horrible, horrible weather that trip. It was ridiculous. And so I came home and I had booked the the trip to Font already. And I was really, you know, thinking about what 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 is the 14? What's the next logical step? Like I last time I was here, I had these two V13s as the the top on my list. And I was talking to my wife, and she was like, Well, what's what's that boulder that you always say you want to do there? I was like the big island, but I don't. I don't, you know what? I do think I can do it. <laughs> and I was like, I, this is my last year really of, I mean, my, my wife and I want to start a family next year. So I'm getting all my traveling out this year so mm. that we can, you know, I want to be the ultimate dad. I want to do, I want to be there for her whole pregnancy. I want to do everything. I want never miss a day of the kid's life. Uh, you know, not, not like a crazy dad, but you know, what I, mean. <laughs> I yeah. really want to be a dad. And That's so awesome. this is like my last year to go for it truly like obsessively and uh, do it like, you know, like a professional would go out and siege the boulder. So yeah, yeah. I, I realized this was my chance. And so I, I have this great opportunity. I'm not working a job and I just started thinking, okay, if I'm going to do it, I got to do it real because it's two grades above what is currently taking me multiple sessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've really got to go for it if I want to bring this thing down to a level where I could do it on a one-month trip. And so that was the start of it. You know, we'll circle back in a second, but I I think that kind of answers a question that I had when you were saying that you were on your, you know, Rockland's trip and already quit your job and were already booking the next five trips that you wanted to go on. I was wondering... Like, how was your wife okay with this? What was that conversation like? Like, was it, did it take convincing? Is there compromise going on there? Because I remember in our first episode, you talked about your honeymoon, how amazing and special it was. She's not a climber. She's just there supporting and it was was incredible. But, um, But yeah, looking at your life, you know, over the last six months and going into the future with all these trips planned, I was just thinking like, how, how's that working? (laughs) <laughs> how are you spending so much time apart? But this, this kind of answers that. It seems like you've, you know, you pitch like, this is my last great opportunity to do this. And then I'm all in on having kids. Yeah. Yeah. She knows that when I come back, that's I'm back. I'm not going away again. Mm. We've been together for nine, very soon going on 10 years. And I mean, she's my best friend. We love each other more than anything else in the world. we fully trust each other. We, you know, we're going to spend the rest of our lives together. Like, like we're going to literally be with each other for the next, 
in, I, I hope, 100 years. So <laughs> let's go. I, I think one, like a couple months apart is okay now, especially because we're, you know, we're still talking to each other every day. But yeah, I, I definitely still, it was a conversation. It was a couple of conversations. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she's luckily she's an accountant and she's a CPA at, at a pretty busy firm and she's an auditor and she's in busy season now. So she, when I'm home, she's usually up and out by like 530 to the office and then comes home some nights at like midnight. Damn. So, wow. Yeah. She, I mean, she's just working, working. So I'm like, what really, what interaction am I truly missing here? And that's all the time she's working the weekends. So yeah, I mean, it's a pretty low impact period to leave. Nice. That definitely helped. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. So is this, is this the recon trip or did you already go on your recon trip and get back from it? Yeah, I already went. So I was, uh, yeah, I, I really just honestly, when I, when I was thinking about this and yeah, yeah I'm going to go on this trip for a month. Uh, I started like over and over thinking like, you know, just doing a like do, training for this boulder, just training itself isn't going to do it. Like I, I how specific can I get? Mm. How much can I learn also? Like I, first I want to be obsessive about this because I've never done this. I've never gotten all in on one boulder and really seen how much can I gleam out of one experience for future experiences for my clients for just being a better coach, better climber, how much can I learn? Also, I've got the time and the freedom to do this. Like, how cool of an experience is this going to be to really go all in, kind of like let my life consume this one thing? You know, you hear stories about people that just get an idea in their head and they run with it and they make something amazing that they'll remember forever that maybe even redirects the course of their life. And that's what I wanted. I just wanted to have an, a profound experience. And it certainly was that. And so I was, uh, you know, I had, had been talking to Emil because we had um, other bowlers in other parts of the world that we were working like at the same time. And he had done some things I wanted to do in Switzerland. So we were communicating. And he told me that he was going to be there at the end of December. And, uh, you know, it was like, I, I, was, I think I left on December I forget, it was like 12th or something, and he was going to be there the 19th. And it's it's literally December 8th. And uh, I don't have a flight booked. I'm like, you know what? I could go there, meet a meal. I could fly out to France, take pictures of the actual boulder, climb on it, and then come back and make a real replica. Like, really know where the holds are, what they feel like, and use like pictures of myself on it to make it really accurate. And so I went. And as I'm, I'm going there and I'm, I'm coaching this girl, Amelie Shea, and her dad, Mark, is like the most interesting person I've ever met in my life. If you go on MarkShea.com, he's like, he has a scrolling bar that's like, hi, I'm a, and it's just, it, it doesn't stop scrolling. And it is just a new thing every single time. I'm a professional this. I'm like an accomplice. It's just mind boggling who this man is. And so fittingly, he's like, yeah, I actually have two 3D printers in my house. I have all the software I have. Uh, so here's how you're going to do this. Because I, I, like, I write movies and we then like replicate images for the movies. It's like, oh my God. And he orchestrated everything. Is Told he me a how climber? To do... 
No, he's not a climber. His daughter wow. is. Yeah. My coach's daughter. Yeah. Fascinating. And he just started sending me like really small at first, like, so you're going to want to get pictures of all the holds. Okay, cool. Now I, you're going to need to make markers on the rocks so we know the distances. Okay, now I need 4K video of the rocks so we understand three-dimensional space. Okay, now get a, your 3D scan that you were going to do. Okay, now get the 3D scan and do it from, get pointing out at the natural world so we can then replicate the entire uh, surrounding space in the gym so we understand what the boulder's true dimensions in in space are it was just like over and over every day i was there i'm climbing on it and then i'd have like two hours of homework to take pictures <laughs> and videos and every time he sent me something new i'd kind of be like oh my god but at the same time i'd be like oh sick this is crazy okay i can do that yeah, yeah. word <laughs> Yeah. And, <laughs> and we just, it never stopped being that man. Mm. I'm, I'm like, all right, cool. I got all these pictures. Now what Mark? He's like, all right, so now we're going to do this. And I was like, whoa, that's so legit. Okay. I just felt like I was faking it the whole time and uh, just doing stuff on the most, it was like a way more professional level than I thought we were going to do it. Mm. And it's still, still can't believe, I mean, John and Mark put in over a hundred hours they both have full-time jobs. They were just in it as a passion project to make this thing become a reality. Like, yeah, for me, but for, for the climbing community. And uh, yeah, I think it's just a really, really unique idea that I, I unintentionally came up with to, that we could recreate three-dimensional space. And um, now our goal is to make this a company and oh, wow. offer this service to different gyms uh, throughout the world, and then uh, you know, make contacts with local ambassadors of areas like almost uh, like a, like on Twenty Seven Crags uh, or Mountain Project, who you have a local moderator of an area when people like go to add problems, and just ask these people, like give them you know materials on how to take the best pictures and videos, and then uh, when we get an order, we can let the moderator know. They send us the, the images and videos and scans, and then we crank it out in the volume shop and send it to them, have the gym, give them instructions. We can just, can send you whatever boulder you want, wherever in the world. That's so crazy, man. I mean, what what do you need to be able to build something like the Big Island? For people listening, I mean, we've, you know, probably all seen the Burden of Dreams replica. Kind of revolutionary, but pretty damn basic. You're scanning holds, putting them on a flat wall. All you have to do is get the angle right and the distance between the holds correct. And then you're basically climbing on Burden of Dreams. The Big Island is a totally different animal. It's a overhanging prow. It's a squeeze boulder. You're doing compression. The subtlety of the holds is so specific. What does a gym need to be able to order the Big Island? Like, is it just a wall at a fixed angle and then you build all the volumes and everything to match what they have? Like, how does that work? Yep. That's, That's So you could, we could technically build, uh, I mean, this is a, a conversation with John. I'm sure there's a, a limit, but yeah, you could give us any wall angle and li literally any wall angle. I mean, like full roof or potentially even like a flat wall and we could turn that into the big island just using volumes i think the flat wall would be really hard just because the volumes <laughs> yeah. would be just ridiculously massive yeah but yeah. if any gym has an overhang yeah we, we could do it holy shit that's a, that's incredible so where did you build your own replica 
a gym called Garden State Rocks. Uh, I mean, you know when things like fall into place perfectly? Like I'm, I'm talking perfectly. So uh, my wife and I moved when I quit my job and we moved to Jersey where uh, her parents are and um, in a town called Marlboro. We moved into her grandparents' house because we're, we we're trying to buy a home, but prices are just nuts right now. So we're just going to lay low and uh, moved into grandma's. And that is three minutes from a gym called Garden State Rocks, where my good friends, uh, Alan and Mark, uh, that's how I met them. They climbed there. And uh, this gym has this wall in the back called the dark side, which is just this massive bulging overhang, which when you look at it, you're like, whoa, that's the big island. Hmm. It was unbelievably close to angle, shape, dimensions, all of it. And it really required, I mean, if you look at the, uh, my post on Instagram, Charlie 46, it was my last post. Uh, you can see the final boulder. The volumes really aren't, I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're big, but there's not too many of them. And it was really minor, uh, you know, angle adjustments to create the three-dimensional space. I mean, sure. It was, it was a significant project, but it was very close. So we got very lucky. And the fact that it's three minutes from my house and I could get there all the time and, you know, set it, change it, fix it, adjust it. Yeah, it was, it was huge. <laughs> That's crazy. <clears throat> That's crazy. How similar did it feel? Like I'm going to, I'm going to fill in a little context. So for people that haven't been following this journey, you set like a you know, you set your own kind of simple replica just based on videos and stuff you'd seen. You started trying that and training on that before your first trip. You go out, you actually try the big island and you're like, oh, wow, it's actually quite a bit different than the replica. Lots of subtlety and things are missing. And then you do this whole process that, process that you've been talking about and you go back and you build it and train on it for a month. How similar did the replica end up feeling to the real thing when you came back again? Uh, there's no difference. There's no difference. The only difference is the texture. Yeah. Holy shit. And honestly, the, I mean, the, the most of the holds uh, on the, the big Island, are like somewhat crystallized the, the sandstone there. So it's, it is very slick. It's not that, you know, it's, it's not like um, that sticky rough sandstone. So the plastic was actually really close to that, that texture much slicker. Uh, there was really no difference. The, the one unfortunate part was that uh, one of the holds, the left hand, uh, I think just one, like a, a part of the plastic, like w one of the files must not have uh, taken the correct information from the images. I mean, it's all, so close, but just like maybe two or three, maybe four millimeters of uh, extra plastic was covering a part of the ink cut, which definitely made that left hand uh, for the big slap move harder to hold. But I could still uh, pull on and slap the next hold like I can here. So it, it was harder and it's a little slicker, but the the moves when you pull on position, it is the exact same. I mean, I pulled on uh, one of the last days before I came here and then went right to it, like my second day here. And uh, yeah, it felt like I was right back on it. And, uh, and, and I really cruised through the beginning, which was honestly kind of hard for me last time. 
Wow. Just because those were the first holds we got, and I got the most amount of laps in on the beginning. And I just was like bouncing through it. And my right heel felt so much stronger. And my left heel felt so much stronger from even what I made with the top and the one or two sessions I got trying the the top of the, the real replica. That's so. incredible, man. This is like revolutionizing yeah. climbing and, and bouldering trips. It's crazy. It's crazy to think yeah, about. Yeah, dude. How much does it cost? I mean, like if I oh, if, dude, you just... if I had a flat wall that was approximately the right angle and wanted to buy the big island replica, how much does that cost? Oh, oh, I, I can't disclose that. Oh, okay. No, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know what a, a flat wall that would probably, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure the furthest away, I mean, just wood. And uh, I don't think it would take any more time from John. I mean, the, the computer does a lot of it. Uh, I mean, flat, like flat, but overhanging, like just a board. Oh, oh, oh. Um, I mean, total, if you were to take into account, and this is the first time we did it. So there were it. I mean, the learning curves were massive, right? Like we had probably spent, you know, 75% too long on everything. But if you were to take everyone's time at an appropriate rate, and then the materials, I mean, Mark also went with a place that uh, we made a deal with them. Uh, there was, I know this sounds crazy, but there was no money out of my pocket for this. Wow. Almost everyone pitched in, but the real cost would have probably been between... 30 to 40 K. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like one's time materials. Wow. I mean, that's not even taking into account that the cost that act I did actually, you know, take on was the trip. Yeah. Through the recon mission, yeah. which was significant, but I mean, that was a, it was a bouldering trip. Right. You know, I, I don't consider that like an investment in the project. Totally. But it was, you know. Yeah. So no, no person. Well, only a very rich person is going to buy the big island and put it in their garage to train on it for a trip to font. This might be gyms like wanting to have the novelty of having a famous boulder in their gym. Yeah, dude, I, I think we're going to get it down to like a couple thousand, honestly. Like, if, it, it really is. It was just a huge, I mean, we had no idea. Nobody had really any idea what we were doing. Right, right, right. Right. I mean, they knew the processes for something like this, but um, the amount of issues we ran into, the amount of work we had to redo, uh, yeah. <laughs> like already, Mark and John have had multiple conversations. Like when we do this next time, the, the ten hours on each of these parts is gone now. Mm. So mm -hmm. that's crazy. Yeah. So how did you train on it? You had a month with the actual replica to prep for this trip that you're on now. Sounds mm -hmm. like the whole boulder wasn't ready the whole time. Right. Did it look different than just projecting? Yeah, it was. Well, I mean, you could consider it depending on how you project. But uh, when I when I went on the first trip, one of my goals was to determine, uh, I also took this as a big opportunity to learn and I've already used this with a couple of my clients. Uh, you, What I did was I went there and I figured out what are the moves that are of, I uh, rank them in a couple ways. Highest priority, the things that I need the most attention on based on complexity, intensity, whatever. Now, which are the ones that are the, like, the most energy demanding, mainly in my fingers? And then what are the, the uh, most skill-based uh, elements of the boulder? So really three different departments. And so I 
created uh, sets and reps, uh, like almost like, you know, just like w- training for maybe you were doing uh, curls. And that was like, a, a you know, a, a workout you needed. So I would do the, the big bump move and then I would either stick it or not, but then I would pull into the position because that was the hardest position for me to hold with my left hand low and my right hand on sloper. I'd hold it and squeeze as hard as I could uh, to recruit as many muscle fibers as I could for five seconds, come off, rest for an interval of three minutes. I would then do the same move until I felt that those were kind of powering out because that was my highest priority. I would do the same on my next priority move, which was the move uh, right after that to go up left. And that was majority uh, in my left hamstring and my left calf for that heel hook frog position and then holding that right hand. So I would work it based on priority and kind of limit the amount of attempts I would do there to, because they were the most physically demanding so that I could then work the lower priority moves, but that had a a very low uh, physical demand so that I could get the most amount of movements in and the most skill work uh, without, you know, really fatiguing myself so that in two days, because I wanted to have higher frequency, uh, I wouldn't be able to be uh, highly productive in the next session. And I would still, though, switch the uh, the load. I would go to lower priority movements, but more skill-based and run them for more laps versus uh, you know, loading the the intensity. And I would just alternate that session to session. You're alternating the highest priority, highest load moves with the more skill-based moves and alternating between those two sessions? Mm-hmm. Like trying to get um, flow in the easier sequences. Like trying to link and uh, and focus on the skill elements, uh, and do that for a good amount of time. And then also try to get mastery and more recruitment, more strength based on the high physical moves. Because I, I'm, I was pretty lucky that the high physically demanding were also the highest priority. Mm-hmm. So I could almost look at them exclusively in, in a strength context. Uh, although the second move was, I mean, both of them have a high technical demand, but yeah, not as much, I think. Do you think that's almost always the case? It seems like when I think about my projects, the highest priority are also the most physically demanding because it's the crux, right? I think more often than not. Yeah, I think so. I think that, yeah, you're probably right. I just know that um, personally, when I've worked those moves too often, like too much in a session, that I usually see diminishing returns pretty quickly when instead if I give them like, you know, five, I was, I was honestly, I was only doing the moves, uh, five times maximum, yeah. uh, like recruiting, uh, for five reps. Uh, I, I kind of saw like a, a like linear progression felt better and better and better or like stayed at peak. And then if I, if I kept going, I usually wouldn't be able to feel as productive on the other move which still utilize that grip. So I really had to be, I knew I had to be careful if mm-hmm. I was going to be as effective as possible. Yeah. Man, that give, is... Give me one second. I'm, I'm getting a call from Orin. He's, he's here. Uh, sure. He's in, uh, this poor kid's stuck at the airport, I think. Okay. Give me one sec. Hey, buddy. Hey, I'm so sorry. I know you're in the podcast, but I am outside the door. Oh, you're out. You're at the... You're here at the Airbnb? I'm... Yeah, I just pulled up to the Airbnb. Okay. All right. Um, uh, I, I I was like, this is probably okay to interrupt him for. <laughs> all good. All right. I'm going to quickly come down and grab you. And uh, all right. 
All right. All right. All right. Bye. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I, I got to grab this kid. Go do it. Can, can I, it'll take me two minutes. Yeah. Go do it. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> and we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Chalk Cartel. I have tried a lot of different chalk in my 16 plus years of climbing. And this is my favorite. I love the texture. It's got the perfect amount of grit and it stays on my hands longer than other chalks. It just does. It's amazing. And if you're trying a long boulder problem or a pumpy sport climb or trad climb, not having to stop and chalk up as often can make all the difference. Head over to chalkcartel.com to check out their shop. They've got chalk available in all sizes. They've got quarters, half kilos, kilos. You can even buy a sample pack for $3. I call that the dime bag if you want to try it out before filling your chalk bucket. And they also do subscriptions. If you are already hooked, like I am, you can have amazing chalk automatically sent to your house every month or every two months or every three months. All of their packaging is eco-friendly, so keeping your chalk bag full has never been easier or lower impact. Again, that's chalkcartel.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next purchase and get ready to join the cartel. Chalk Cartel. Great chalk, no bullshit. This episode is brought to you by Crimped. If you are psyched to level up your climbing in 2024, check out the Crimped app. This is the most useful app I've seen when it comes to self-coached training for rock climbing. Crimped has dozens of workouts that focus on all the different facets of climbing performance and training, strength, endurance, power, flexibility, you name it. You can find workouts for whatever you want to train, and they have been carefully crafted by world-class climbers and coaches. I did a really fun collaboration with Crimped last year, and one of their featured playlists is a selection of workouts that I made for those of you who prefer to train on real rock. Emil Abrahamson also has a playlist to help you guys address common skill and strength gaps on the journey from V0 to V15. And Ryan Devlin over at the Struggle Podcast, who's a friend of the show, has a playlist for pumpy overhanging sport climbing as he chases his first 513 at the Red River Gorge. So you can find all of that and a lot more in the app. It really is a treasure trove of training information and it will guide you every step of the way. So check out Crimped. You can learn more and download the app by going to crimped.com. That's C-R-I-M-P-D.com to get started and download the Crimped app for free. And now back to the show. Orin's here and those are the wrong years. <laughs> Poor guy is uh, the airport the whoever lost his uh lost his bags oh no or his bag so he has one he has the clothes on his back and no climbing shoes or gear (laughs) damn he goes that that's matt's so if you um if you want the fran prix is down the street Okay. Yeah. Or actually you can just have one of my bananas there in there. Yeah. But if you want the frame free it's down the street. Dude, I'm like 36 hours next to it. Yeah, I know. I've been there, brother. I've been 48. Oh, I believe that. Threw up. You're alive. I am alive. Yep. Eat a banana. Be good. All right. 
All right, we're in this. All right, we're back in it. All right. We're back. <clears throat> cool. Um, I'm going to say some of that back to you because I think that's a really cool idea. And I might try this on Diaphanous, actually, because I'm not anywhere near sending it. You know, like I think the... This is really smart, and I think the thing that keeps a lot of us from being this smart with our projecting and treating it like training is thinking is getting ahead of ourselves and thinking that we want to send, you know. But if we're not even close, this uh, this is a really smart way to spend our time. So you split up your moves. You thought about all the moves on the Big Island, and you wrote them down as far as what are the highest priority, meaning like the most important to to get stronger at and learn. And what are the most physically demanding? Those happen to be the same moves. And then what are the more skill-based, easier, less intensive moves? And on your more strength-focused sessions, you would take the hardest move, try it, and then if you didn't stick it, you'd pull back on in that position as if you had stuck it and squeeze as hard as you can for five seconds. Rest for three minutes. Keep doing that over and over until you feel your power start to drop. And then you move on to the next most important move and work your way all the way through all those moves. Is that is that correct? Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it, it is probably most applicable to something that's at your absolute physical limit and is really dependent on uh, a specific grip type. That was what I really felt about the Big Island was that the the hold that I was that I am having trouble with, both with my my foot and my my hand, are a, a grip that I obviously like never train. Uh, it's it's so specific. Your like hand is rotated with your back three crimping this very small uh, little ridge on a, a slope with your index finger to the side parted, crimping down on some tiny little divot, and that's like way up and behind over your head. And uh, your heel is doing a lot as you go for that move. And then you throw another heel, which basically needs to take the full load while your right hand's only holding that. And you're releasing that left hand to travel a really far distance to a, a crimp, which is kind of crappy. So it was a, a lot of force through the left leg that I would do the same thing. I'd put that heel on. I wouldn't let go, but I would squeeze as hard as I could. And over time, I, I felt that, like on the replica I made, if I let go of my left hand at first, I would just come right off. I'd slap the hold and drop, just like on the Big Island. And before I came out here, like my last couple of sessions, I was able to put the heel on, squeeze, and then reach. And when I would hit the next hold, I could actually stop for a second. I actually never stuck it, but it was just like a light year uh, ahead of what where i started mm. yeah, yeah i just wanted to ensure progression you know not just throw myself at it think about what can i do better i wanted to know for a fact that i was going to be stronger totally yeah i think it's interesting to hear you describe your process because it's not that dissimilar from how i project and specifically how i'm projecting diaphanous c right now um, but the thing that I'm not doing, I'm even like holding holds and like holding positions for five seconds. I'm actually doing that too. But the thing I'm not doing is trying a move, then getting in that position and like recruiting as hard as I possibly can. I'm just holding on as hard as I need to, to hold that position. I'm not just like actively trying to squeeze the life out of the, 
the rock. And I think that's a really smart idea. That's something I'm going to be trying. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard. I think when we project and you try and move over and over and over and you never stick it, you know, you're, you're doing 50% of the move, right? You're not actually ever learning that back half. And that's, what's really important to you, right? It's like, you want to be able to hit that hold stick, be strong in that position to then move seamlessly into the next sequence. Mm -hmm. So if you're not equally training, you know, you're training the first 50, if you're not training that back 50, it, you're, you're just, you're going to have a slower uh, process. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that you said is that you're splitting your days. So you'll have a climbing day where you try all the hardest moves the way that we just said, and then you take a rest day and then you go back to it and try all the easier, more skill-based moves and have that be a whole session and then take a rest day and go back. And so you're getting more days on the boulder without overtaxing the same muscles every time. Right. Yeah. I wanted really to know, cause yeah, if I'm doing every, if I'm doing training that intense on something at limit, like literal max, and then honestly like beyond, cause I'm, I'm squeezing even harder. I'm not going to be able to do that productively in two days. There's mm -hmm. just no way. Also, I'm not going to forsake the other moves just to, have another session on the the two moves that are sure high priority, but everything counts. Everything's hard on that climb. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, how much progress did you make on the replica over that month? So I, sadly, I didn't get the the full replica done until like four days before. No, I'm sorry, six days before I left. As far as setting and it I, and getting all the holds. Yeah, the holds just uh, kept failing. Uh, one of them kept failing in the printer, uh, which stunk. And that delayed it by like three days. And then everything just took a little bit longer. Like the, the printing place was closed on uh, one of two of the weekends. So two times the holds got delayed by like four days. So basically we lost a week because of the, the holds being made actually. And I only got, I mean, I got five sessions in on the lower half. And I had stand-in holds for the top, which really helped. So total, uh, all of my sessions I counted, I got 12 sessions in on, on the replicas, but they were three different iterations. Mm. And on the final one, I only got basically one and a half. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. How did but you... First session back here, I, I've made massive progress, especially on the top. I just like, I feel like I went from that move needing to take honestly like 10 more sessions to stick to needing one more and mm. making instant I did, did like three moves I hadn't been able to do before when I came here and then the next session did another two so <laughs> feeling really good about that wow so where are you at in the process do you have one more move left to do I've got two more moves I'm, okay. I'm counting foot moves I okay. have no more foot moves to do which is super exciting I've done every single foot move in every position I just need to do uh, that. I need to stick that right hand. The big slap. The big move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I need to stick the next crimp. And if I do that, I've done every move. Mm -hmm. And I felt so close to both of those last session. So close. So I just need to go back with the with more skin and definitely good conditions because that makes a world of difference on that totally. thing. Totally. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing too. Like you're, you're probably never, I don't know about the gym that you're, that you set this replica at, but you're probably never getting even close to realistic outdoor conditions in the gym on the replica. That's the good part. Yeah. About the replica. Yeah. 
guaranteed high quality training with good friction. Mm. Yep. How much longer Take do you have variable. on your trip? I've got, see, 18 plus four. I've got 22 more days. Okay. Do Plenty think, of time. Do you think you have a good chance at doing this thing? Uh, to be honest with you, I, I would have to go all in and only work this. And I don't think I'm there. I think that I, I want to do other boulders a good amount. I, I definitely do want to climb other things. I want to climb with Adam, who's going to be coming here. I want to climb with my clients that are here. And I I want to make progress. I want to continue to make progress. I, I think I can do it, but I, you know, it's not, it's not like the other boulders that I've worked at upper limit where within my time frame, I know I can if I go all in. I think there's a chance I go well, a good chance I go all in on this and I don't do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, I've, I've already committed. I'm going to give it three more sessions without a doubt. If I don't see uh, significant progress uh, and see clues of that, that I can actually do it during this trip, then I'm going to pause after three more, go home, continue training and come back and do it another trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to see a lot of progress and go through this experience and know that it's possible. And I know it's possible, yeah. but I want to know that it's it's probable. Right, totally. I mean, I mean, it makes all the difference that you now have a completed replica that you can go home and train on. And it sounds like you can come back if you don't do it this time around. Right. There's another opportunity before children entered the picture. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm in, but now I've got to decide Switzerland or or France for my, <laughs> my last trip. I'm gonna try to squeeze out both. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that track. Just stay in Europe and and have her yelling at me to come back. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Are you uh, are you approaching your sessions on the actual climb the same way that you trained? Or are you doing something different? Yeah. Yeah. Very similarly. Um, I, these beginning sessions have been honestly exactly like what I was doing uh, at home, except the the only thing that's different is I'm doing a little bit more beta experimentation at home. I just didn't have the tools. Like I, I just didn't have all the different parts of the climb. Mm-hmm. So I just, there were some things I just literally couldn't try because there wasn't a hold there and there was no bolt hole. Like the, the gym, it, you can't really put on, you can put on screw ons, but it's, yeah, it's, it's like the real rock wall. Uh-huh. So it's like concrete. So yeah. I, I just didn't want to do that and like keep moving it. So I am trying new beta still. I'm virtually positive that what I'm doing now is what I'm going to stick with. There's really are for two moves. I've got one more thing each that I want to try. And, uh, and then I'm going to systematically work it just how I was at home. But I, I really do feel like the only things that I need to do now are lock down the the legs, that that compression of squeezing the wall. Uh, my heels are the both on both moves. They're the, the fail points. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All the mobility training I did was so unbelievably helpful. I followed my uh, my mobility training program that I I, I give to my clients. Uh, I had actually taken a pause from it, and I I, I don't know why I just. I just wasn't doing it, to be honest. And I ran it back for six weeks and saw 
really big gains and have now been able to do the, the full wide compression with both legs, which is almost like a full split on the wall with a lot, like you have to really frog your hips out too. And I couldn't get my, I just couldn't get my feet out there before. Like couldn't even get the toe hook. Uh, but now I'm getting the toe hook easily and getting the heel around and have a margin. So like I mm. gained like eight inches of mobility, damn, like active mobility and feel a lot stronger with my legs, but still need some more, more to go. Mm -hmm. Because the, the less strength you have in your fingers on this thing, the more reliant you are on your legs. And my fingers got a ton stronger from my training. I was also doing uh, just conscious like grip training with um, the head to toe on level edge in the, like, cause it has the fingers separated. I can kind of part my hand and train it like that, which I mm. thought was really cool to see my numbers and see when it was a good idea to actually pull on the replica and how much. Uh, so my fingers are still though, I think like V V12, V13 strength. <laughs> and so mm. my legs, I feel like need to be like V16 strong <laughs> to be able to do this thing. So, yeah. And my ankles and I can feel it. They were so sore. Fascinating. My Achilles tendon was killing me. Yeah. Wow. Sore ankles from projecting. Yeah, dude, I was cranking <laughs> so hard on that heel. It was unreal. Yeah. Do you think you'll uh, approach other projects with this same strategy? Like kind of breaking down all the moves, deciding which ones are highest priority and most physical and doing a similar type of project training on other climbs? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've I wholeheartedly believe that this is a... I mean, it's just a more conscious effort, I think. You're just being a little bit more... It's, uh, yeah, it's. I think it's kind of robotic. You know, it's like people don't want to train like this. It, it can be almost seen as obsessive, not not a ton of fun because you're really just... Not, you're not even moving sometimes. You're mm -hmm. just pulling on the wall and squeezing. Yeah. But it. if you're looking for the essence of what, what are you trying to gain, you're, you're literally trying to teach your body how to be stronger in that exact position. There is no... There's nothing more specific, mm -hmm. right? If you can make replicate the move and then contract the muscles to be able to overpower that move at a higher, it, it's like if you wanted to do uh, a pull up with 50 pounds and wanted to do that and then do more pull ups after that, you wouldn't just train at 50 pounds. You would train a little bit higher or do more uh, pull ups at 50 pounds so that the things that come after or before won't fatigue you so much that you can't do that next pull up with 50 pounds. Right. You're like building your margin. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. Like when I think about the projects, when I think about like when I've done a really good job projecting, um, there is like that level of patience that's really hard to tap into all the time, you know, like, like on diaphanous C comparing it to that for myself again. Um, you know, I've done the first, three moves and so i immediately if i get ahead of myself i immediately start trying to link the three moves but i know that i have to have a higher margin on all three of those moves to have any shot at actually sending the boulder you know yeah. not to mention the fourth move and everything after that so um but it's hard it's hard to like take that take your ego out of it because you want that checkbox you want to like tech check you know check off the next step in the process and get that link and move on to the next thing um and sometimes that kind of linear process works on boulders, but sometimes it just doesn't because you just need to get stronger on the moves. Yeah. I mean, the further from an like, instant 
attainability it is the longer the process the more painstaking Mm -hmm. i think just the more you know you don't have a ton of like you said margins you really don't so you have to be that more dialed in it's tough it's tough mentally yeah you're sacrificing a lot you're sacrificing fun and freedom and playfulness totally yeah 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 that's that's what i'm trying to get to man i'm trying to really that was a a major point of why i was also undertaking this process was it's clear that this is what the sport needs if we're going to get to the highest potential of of a human being for for climbing so if you know if there's a v18 out there uh you know people are not going to be able to show up and and do this thing uh, you know, in a trip that's, let's say this thing is kind of poorly placed in a climate that sees a lot of rain or has a lot of humidity, and maybe they go on this trip and not everyone can afford to go on. Even the pros, not all the pros that are, you know, usually competing also, those are the people that are at the top of our sport. A lot of them uh, are going to be able to afford to live there and project this thing for three months which is what it would maybe take, maybe even longer. So, and and sure, if they could, let's say they could, they're going to need to be there for three months to learn this thing. And this must be someone that climbs, you know, extremely hard, probably V17. So wouldn't the process be easier if they had this thing to, to train on at home in perfect conditions, frequently, and put into their regular training regimen Mm -hmm. and work systematically without having to worry about, you know, the vagaries of the weather. Totally. I mean, we've already seen that play out on Burden of Dreams, you know, like Nale did the first ascent, but it took him, what was it, like seven or eight seasons over the four years because he kept getting shut down by weather. It was spring, fall, spring, fall, spring, fall, but he'd get close and then it would snow or whatever. And I mean, he was training on his own like wooden replica on a 45 because that thing's relatively easy to replicate but like imagine if he had had those 3d printed holds that were so specific and so similar to the actual thing maybe he would have done it faster and if will Bosey hadn't had that he's not gonna you know he wouldn't have gone and done burden of dreams so it's already shifting yeah. things in that direction it's just so fascinating to think about that expanding out to so many different types of climbs because my imagination hadn't gotten there. You know, I was just like, I can't really see this ever being a thing on anything but like a flat board style climb. Unless someone's just like a total tinkerer and like obsessed and builds some crazy, you know, like Mad Max style contraption or whatever, built these crazy homemade volumes or something. But the fact that you guys are taking this and kind of systematizing it is fascinating. And I'm really curious to see what that leads to that'll be so interesting hell yeah yeah it's gonna be really cool very cool yeah and the the burden of dreams is really interesting too because nale not only had to battle when it what would rain but then after when it would rain because that place recently all of those clear the the, the forest got cleared totally they took, took out the whole forest basically so when it would rain there it would stay damp because the trees would block out the sun and keep it super wet so makes it that much more impressive that he did it mm-hmm. also back then like when there was no v17 it's mm-hmm. just really 
unbelievable. Yeah, so. absolutely incredible. He would have done it real fast if he had a, a real replica. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, nice, man. Um, is there anything else from uh, from your list that you want to make sure that we get to before we kind of wrap this up and dive into some listener questions? Are you are you good to go for a little while and tackle some listener questions? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about the ideal circuit. I think that like ties in really well to like getting to the bottom of uh, like human potential. Okay. Yeah, like really getting to the point of it. The ideal circuit. Yeah. Let's talk about it. What do you mean by that? Yeah, this is, uh, it's a concept that I, you know, I'm sure people do something very similar and other coaches may have uh, programmed this for their kids that they coach or anyone that they coach, but it's, it's, it's similar to what I was doing with, uh, with the big Island, with trying to get as specific as possible to the demands needed. And I went to uh, two world bowling world cups when I was competing back in the day, I went to the first one and, um, you know, I just I didn't know how to travel, and I got wrecked with jet lag. Didn't eat properly. I was a kid, and like went out there, and you know I was I, I knew knew it was going to be a tough round for me. But really, what I realized was I was not ready for this style at all. I wasn't ready for these types of moves, these types of holds. Even uh, it was so different from anything that I trained on. And so I went home, and I realized that I needed to make my training at home extremely specific to the event and also extremely specific to myself so that each day would be the ideal circuit of training. So the, the perfect mix of stimulus for my body. You know, I couldn't just isolate finger power on the boards. There were so many different techniques that I was missing, so many elements. So with my clients now uh, and myself, I, I, I did that. Uh, I, I created the ideal circuit and I, I went back to the next World Cup and, you know, I previously got 115th. At this next one, I got 49th. I saw a huge improvement and that I kept doing that uh, style of training and saw a, a, the biggest, I think, uh, spike in my growth as, a, as an athlete. And so I'm, I really wanted to make sure that all the athletes that I coach understand that there is a, a better way to train than just going to the gym and choosing boulder problems because they have a certain stimulus to the body that, that, that defines their weakness. And then they want to do that one over there because that one looks like it's got, you know, the right bouldering grades, the right amount of moves. And if I do that, it's going to make me stronger when really you're, you have a whole gym that offers a ton of different skill sets in each one of their climbs and you have the power. There's a huge, uh, there's a huge range in your quality of your session. You can have based on the bouldering, uh, the boulder problems that you choose or, or the routes that you choose. So if you have that power and you know that you can choose the climbs you're going to get on, why would you not take your time and seek out the climbs that are going to give you the best return for your investment in time and energy? Which ones are going to challenge your specific weaknesses, develop your strengths that you know are the things that set you above the other competitors or the things that are going to move you towards your goals most and make a quote unquote ideal circuit for yourself. Meaning that if I were to go in to train today, I would check the most boxes in, uh, 
developing myself as an athlete if I got on these 10 climbs. So I could get on 100 different climbs today, but those 10 would be the best form of training. So my athletes, uh, Adam Shahar and Austin Hoyt, uh, climb at high exposure, and they're extremely elite athletes. And when uh, they both go to other gyms, they will send the hardest boulders there, usually within a couple of tries, and then they won't have anything that challenges them and really teaches them. So I, you know, Adam just won uh, Open Nationals for, for men, so he's our uh, American national champion for bouldering. And he has a really good chance of making it to the World Cup team uh, to travel and compete in the World Cups for America this season if he does well enough at team trials, which are in March, from March 5th to 11th. So knowing that Adam predominantly trains at high exposure and all the gyms around him that he can get to aren't going to challenge him, I knew that as his coach... Uh, this was his best chance to make it to to the World Cup team, and he needed to have the most ideal form of training as often as possible. So I did invite him to Fontainebleau, where I've created uh, an ideal circuit for him here. He's going to be here for nine days, and I have a whole list of boulders and a curriculum of what we're going to get on. It <laughs> ranges from, like, I've got, like, V3 slabs and, and arets all the way up to V15. He wants to do the Big Island and. I think that's great because it's kind of outside of his style. And uh, so I knew that his trip here would be really beneficial to him. And I didn't want his time home to be wasted. I wanted him to have the best chance possible. So I reached out to the best setters on the East Coast to come to high exposure and set 20 boulder problems. And, and the, obviously Austin too. Austin's also training for team trials. Uh, but I gave them a list. Um, Austin kind of does a little bit of his own training. I help him more on the supplemental aspect and advice and, and guidance and, and other areas, but Adam is still working with me, uh, like on, on, with everything uh, a little bit more. Austin's also at school in college and still busier, um, and is very focused on outdoors right now. Uh, so I gave them a list of all of the things, uh, like a long email on all the things that Adam is not great at and really needs to be tested on and some different types of movements that he has historically failed on at, in competitions or have given him trouble. So they came, they set these 20 boulders, and now I know that every session, and they're all at Adam's limit, so like right at the perfect spot of his learning curve. So I know now every session when he goes and trains, he's getting on things that I guaranteed are the ideal circuit for Adam Shahar to train on. Hmm. And I, this is what I used to do for my team, my youth team at high exposure and when I would get an opportunity to set at reach and it works better than anything else you can do for your team is create things that cater towards your athletes, develop their specific skill sets where they have gaps and honestly keep them psyched because when you set a boulder for somebody, they know that you put it in the conscious effort and it's very exciting knowing that they, they have a, a lot of room to develop and grow. So we had a little competition last week, a bunch of kids that I coach and from around the region came and competed. People have been coming. It's like a whole month long project uh, competition. And it's, uh, it's really fun. Really, really fun. We got some good prizes from my sponsors and, and it's, uh, they're really freaking hard. So when you come, <laughs> you can accumulate points with the zones and, and from a top. So you don't just need to top everything and 
you you fill out your scorecard when you're there, submit it, come back. It's a uh, it's a really cool format. I'm trying to, I think it is the the best way to kind of push the the region's top performers. If we could get more gyms to do this, or I could put this on more frequently, it would be phenomenal and really exciting. And and I plan on doing so. That's cool. That's really interesting. Like a month long competition where you're actually getting an opportunity to project and kind of train on these things. How does it work? Like it's just whoever does the most, gets the highest, gets the most zones and tops over the course of the month. Like can people go as often as yeah. they want to? That's it. Yeah. Okay. As often as you want to. It's kind of like a fitness yeah, challenge. It, That's cool. It is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, it's training. You're not like the competition is just fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really, Hey, we made like arguably the best, most diverse training, uh, array of boulders that, that we could, uh, if you come here, you don't have to really guess, am I getting a great workout? You just know that you're getting about hundred different types of movements in. We made sure to make each move within each climb, uh, target something different. And it's a, uh, yeah, it's anyone that has come already has told me that it was a, a great experience. I'm curious with the, with the ideal circuit concept, these 20 boulders that you set with Adam in mind, trying to help him as much as possible. How do you think about balancing attacking his weaknesses and like not letting his strengths, you know, like, are you, are you setting some things within his style? What's the balance there? What does that look like? It's all weaknesses, just hammering, hammering weaknesses, hammering his weaknesses. He's, uh, I mean, on, on these boulders, you do need good. you, You need a lot of finger strength. I mean, listen, we, I am, I will never ever take that kid away from the spray wall. He is still spray walling mm. once to twice a week. Okay. You, honestly, it's twice. He probably <laughs> sneaks off and does a couple <laughs> on the third day. Uh-huh. But I mean, yeah, he's he's got the strongest fingers. That's that's his strong fingers. This is what I've always said. And I think it's absolutely true because look at everyone at the top. Strong fingers is how you win comps being good at all other styles and movement and technique mindset is how you don't lose comps. Mm, Totally. Yeah. You cannot win without bullet strong fingers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I just think like too often do people go to gyms and the hardest boulders require either super strong fingers or ridiculously, you know, comp style, massively dynamic moves for these comp uh, climbers. But then they get to competitions and they get usually like one, like especially at team trials, you get like one really hard coordination move, one very fingery one. And then there's, or not even a very fingery one sometimes. I mean, everything requires a ton of finger strength, but then it's a lot of it's just movement, odd stuff that everyone's going to be challenged by, very puzzled, mantles, pressing, uh, like slabs, turning corners, just like basic techniques, but like, turned all the way up and that's the stuff that uh that people have falls on and maybe don't send but you know they could have if they just practiced that and were comfortable yeah that makes a lot of sense so you're not just hammering the like comp coordination stuff it's just a it's just a mix of all the types of weird movements that show up in comps yep yeah damn we like we, we talked about it too it's like hey dude how how many times in comps have you uh you know quote unquote failed or not done the boulder because it was a hard coordination move. 
And we talked about it. We looked over, talked about all the experiences, and that number was very small. Okay. How many times have you not done the finger boulder? Zero. How many times have you not done the slab or the presses or the, and that number mm. was big overhead presses. Uh, just, you know, he's good at slab. He's really good slab, but certain ones just stump him. Mm-hmm. And we needed, we can't, ha- he cannot walk out there and be stumped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I gotcha. When you're thinking about the ideal circuit concept for your clients, I'm thinking about people who are, you know, normal people, they want to send their outdoor project, they're going to the gym training for it, they don't have the ability to set their own stuff, maybe they don't have a board or a spray wall, they're just, they kind of get what they get at the gym, and they, you know, want to be smarter about how they use the boulders at the gym to train How do you guide those people? Like what sorts of things do you get your clients to start paying attention to when they're thinking about their project and what they're limited by and how they kind of seek that out and create their own ideal circuit in the gym? Well, looking at the ideal circuit, it's, I think that's one of the easiest ones because we will create a list of their weaknesses and their strengths. And, you know, you really just have to walk around and read boulders to understand I mean, if you're, I'd say 90% of the people I work with have the ability to look at a boulder, read it, and have a good understanding that, yes, this is this has some slopers, this has a heel hook, this has this type of climbing the terrain, this this angle with these types of holds, this is, this is going to be good. You don't have to get it perfect. You know, you're already taking a day where you just, you would be going in and probably just getting on the climbs that you know you're going to have a good chance on that have a high grade. And instead you're saying, okay, let's take that away. Instead, let me just get on these climbs that look like they would be attacking my weaknesses and that are you know within this grade range that are going to be about 90% of my, my max capability. I can do it, but it'll take a couple tries. Mm-hmm. I still have to learn through the, pro- go through the process of learning on it. And that's fairly easy to do. Uh, I, I do have other levels based on competency and experience of climbing. Uh, I like to really impose demands and have my clients make create boulders because, and and some people do get frustrated by it sometimes because they have trouble creating in the beginning, but it's an unbelievably valuable learned skill to be able to look at the wall, interpret movements uh, using distances uh, real visualization, understanding what your body's going to feel like and what it'll look like when you interact with that hold. And when I use that hold, if I want to force a heel, I would have to, ooh, I'd have to grab a side pull there. And then I wouldn't give myself a left foot out there. Cause then I could just backstep that. I'd have to move it in. It's that it's that setter's mind. It's the problem solving mind that being the puzzle maker. Yes, dude, that's 10 times more valuable than me giving you a boulder and being like, this is the perfect physical stimulus, go for it. Mm. And they, uh, so many people can't see that and they don't feel it until we've gone through nine weeks and they're like, yeah, it was really hard. Honestly, it took me like an hour to create that boulder in the beginning. And I, I wasn't very productive that first session. Like, okay, I, I, I hear you. That's, that's valid. I understand your frustration. And then they'll usually say, but like at the end of the nine weeks, I, I was making boulders and like, five minutes, 10, 15 minutes, and they were really good. And I feel it, man. I can visualize and move on the wall so much better. And I'm like, 15 minutes, okay. Next cycle, when I give you the, the progressions of these, and I have a little bit more 
uh, impose more demands, you're going to be that much better. But get ready, you're going to have another a tougher time, but we need to uh, evolve that skill even further. And those are the things that don't go away. You know, it's not like I stopped training for two weeks, I came back and I felt really sluggish. It's like, sure, yeah, everything fell asleep. It's going to wake back up in like three days. Just be patient. But you're going to come back and, and your mind still knows those, those skills. You can't unlearn those things once you've learned them. So those are forever. And I really try to, it's like the only fight I put up with my clients sometimes. And they <laughs> tell me like, hey, man, I really don't like this drill after like two weeks. It's like, give it a chance. Hey, if you really don't like it and you're really struggling, we can hit pause. I can make the demands much easier. And we can try later, but ultimately I'm not going to do that if adherence is going to plummet and you're not going to enjoy it mm -hmm. because that's, that's very valuable too. You kind of have to give and take. Right. What are examples of imposing more demands? What does that look like? What do you mean by that? So I'll, I'll give a drill, like a, a two really easy ones are like footwork projects mm. or tension projects. So like you have to stick a move and keep your foot on sort of thing. Right, exactly. Yeah, but it'll more so be like um, they've told me. I, I when people tell me I have trouble keeping my feet on, that's like the that's a, an opener to a conversation because you you know there are so many different ways that we use our legs and apply pressure through our legs and force through our joints, and it's okay. Well, what's the really hard part? Why do you fall most often? Okay, cool. How do you interact with this? And I just go through a really easy checklist of like three, four examples of keeping tension. And then based off of that, I'll say, okay, in your description, it'll say tension project. I want you to make a boulder uh, where there is a flat hold for your hand, or you're going to, I want you to climb on predominantly uh, non-in-cut holds so that if your feet cut, you're, you're off so that there is no margin uh, for error or it's very small. Now I want the feet to be out to the side and I want you to focus on every attempt visualizing and feeling on the ground, the exertion through your foot. I want your foot to be pointed at the wall, but your ankle to be turned down, cranking. And that's the move I want you to go after because that's what you've told me is really hard on your project. And that's what you historically have a lot of trouble with. I want you to get in three reps on each side. If you're having trouble with that, we can start with two. These don't need to be perfect boulders. It, it's not like if someone gets on it, they can't break it. You can literally just make a circuit where your body doesn't move, your torso doesn't move more than like two feet, the whole eight move boulder. And like, that's just a foot only. That's a hand only. I can't match that. Whatever you need to do to get the stimulus and get the reps in on that type of movement. Mm -hmm. And it, it really freaking works, dude. I've done it for myself many times. It, it's, 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 it's more towards like the ideal form of training. You know, you're isolating one concept and doing a real world application. And if it's a project, you're gonna work it for multiple sessions. And these are at the, you know, the ideal spot of your learning curve. Should take you like two to four sessions to be able to master it and then make it a little bit harder, but keep in the moves that we're still delivering mm -hmm. till they feel effortless. Hell yeah. Yep. Those right. are just two examples. I've got like 30. <laughs> right on, man. Love this. Yeah, it's yeah. this has been fascinating. It's really good to catch up with you and it's really uh, fun to hear what you're up to and how you're thinking about all this stuff and some of the exploration and your own climbing and the way you're trying things for yourself and then finding new interesting ideas and, and using that with your clients and seeing results and 
yeah, you've given you've given me quite a lot to think about and definitely several things to try in my own climbing while I'm here in Waco and I feel excited about it. It feels fun. It's just like, oh, cool. Let's I don't know. I always do well with like a little guidance, a little structure. Like I I I can, you know, set a plan and know that I'm going to try each of these hard moves five times and hold them for five seconds after or whatever it is, but um it kind of makes it into like a little game and and it's fun. But anyway, I just, yeah, it's great to catch up with you. I appreciate you doing this. And uh, good luck. 22 more days. Three more sessions Thanks, on the dude. big island. And sounds like you'll kind of reevaluate and go from there. But uh, I'm going to need it, man. Yeah. Good Hopefully luck with you all do the diaphanous faster than, uh, faster than I do the big island. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to need some friendly psych. Okay. I need to see success to, to be success. Right on. Yeah. It's funny. It's, it's like interesting when a climb represents a definitive next level in your climbing without being a different grade than you've climbed before. You know, like diaphanous for me would represent a huge level up for me without actually being a new grade. I've climbed half a dozen V11s, but, um, but this one's totally different. It challenges me in a huge way. I've never climbed anything nearly this hard in this style. So, um, it represents a lot of growth and yeah, if, if I don't do it, it's been really fun to learn from it. So I'm excited. Absolutely. One of the biggest reasons to disregard grades, man. Mm -hmm. Just indicators, vague indicators. Well, cool. Um, let's wrap up there. I've got like, I've got like three patron questions, half a dozen questions from Instagram for you. We'll dive into those. Um, probably a lot of them we've already covered because a lot of people just wanted to hear about the big Island replica, but there's definitely some, that, some stuff here that we haven't covered. So uh, patrons, oh, yeah. stick around. We're going to jump into your questions and have some more fun for the rest of you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. Follow Charlie at Charlie46 on the gram to follow his process in Fontainebleau. And uh, we'll see you next time. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Beautiful. Hey friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Charlie as much as I did. We went on to talk for another half hour. So if you can't get enough of the show, if you enjoyed this episode, then go check out the extra. That's available right now for patrons who support the show for $5 per month or more. If you become a patron, you can listen to the patron version of the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's really slick. We answered some of your questions. We talked about how to avoid plateaus, how to have more green days and what that means, the concept of green days. I thought that was interesting. When to end your sessions. Charlie shared some of his go-to snacks and victory meals. We talked about whether Noah Wheeler is the best boulderer in the world right now. Super interesting. We talked about how to balance your excitement with performance anxiety and how to master performance anxiety. We talked about how to become a dino god. That was really entertaining. Charlie is incredible at dinos and had some great uh, nuggets around that as well. 
favorite competition memories, needing a why, and how to stay motivated with your training. It was really, really good. So be sure to check that out. You can listen for free right now if you just want to go check that out and see what the extras are all about. There's a seven-day free trial. Head over to patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing. There's a link right there in your podcast app. You can sign up for free. It just takes a few minutes. You can listen to the extra right now and you can cancel at any time, no questions asked. Obviously, I would love it if you stuck around. It means a lot to me to have your support and it goes a really long way to helping out the show. Those uh, $5 monthly pledges actually add up really quick and make a big difference for me. So I hope you'll consider supporting. But yeah, there you go. I hope you guys enjoy it. Once again, thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you learned something. Best of luck with your projecting and training. Much love to all of you, and we will see you next time.